0: All right, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Uh, today I have a special guest, Aaron Good, who uh, came to a show last night with his wife and. Fiance. Uh, oh, fiance. <laughs> yeah. uh, see, there I am. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm jumping a the broom <laughs> there, jumping a the gun. There it is. When do you guys get married?
1: Uh, we are getting married in August. August. Year, yes. Wow.
0: And how long have you been together?
1: That's a very good question.
0: Wow,
1: you should. <laughs> I would say about four <laughs> years ish. Does that seem like a that seems like a good number?
0: That's a good number. That's that's a, that's definitely a good number. I, I think, yeah, most women would agree. For, uh, you know, maybe it's four years is too long for some people, but uh, mm. but that's a good number, four years. Um, but Aaron Good was at a show last night, a comedy show uh, that I was at uh, performing at at the Comedy Cellar. And, uh, and then we got to talking after the show, and then he told me that he does ecotherapy, and that you know he works with individuals and groups, uh, and with he uses like a humanistic approach. And I was like eco- ecotherapy, and I was like, who comes to you, and and what's their biggest uh, you know, um, I don't want to say complaint issue. Yeah, and you said. So can you tell me? Can you tell the, the listeners what I you said? I believe
1: I said climate change.
0: Climate change? People have extreme anxiety about climate change. Yeah. So I, immediately I was hooked because I'd never heard of that. And uh, well, we're going to get more into that because that's in his wheelhouse of uh, ecotherapy. Um, but we always like to start every episode with the 1 1-800 800 number 1 800 784 2433 one eight hundred seven eight four two four three three, 784 2433 And if you just want to talk, that was a suicide number. If you just want to talk, then the number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 8255 Call that number. Don't be afraid. Make uh, make I was gonna say make friends. But uh, but you remember there's no hierarchy of pain. So do not diminish. Your pain or what you're going through or what you're feeling and saying, well, this isn't important enough for me to talk to somebody. If you feel like it's important enough, then it is important enough. If it's bothering you, if it's hurting you, if it's uh, making you uncomfortable, make that phone call. Um, And then, of course, the other thing we always like to do on a podcast, Aaron, is uh, name three things we're grateful for. Wow. And I'll go first. I yes, know that's to, to put somebody on the spot. Um, I'm super grateful, number one, for uh, friends. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, one of my friends found out I was doing this podcast and uh, and I hadn't talked to her in years and she called me and said, if I ever needed someone to, to call and talk to that she was there and that she considered me a friend and uh, that that meant so much to me. It was so powerful yeah. to have people reach out. And, and, I, and, it, and it's a reminder that there are people who want to hear your story, who are willing to hear your story, who want to help you, that y- you don't even realize uh, would serve you in that capacity. Um, second thing I'm grateful for is my amazing view mm-hmm. from my hotel room. I get, to, I get this panoramic view of the mountains, which... Uh, you know, it's helping, keeping me sane. Speaking of which, I have nature sounds playing in the background. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second, Aaron. <laughs> if you can't go out in nature, sometimes you got to bring nature into your house. Uh, and then the third thing that I'm grateful for is uh, I, I, did some, I did some hot yoga and tai chi Ooh. for the first time. And it was really grounding and really spiritual and really helped me sleep at night. So uh, grateful for those three things. Uh, Is there anything? You don't have to do three. You could do one. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm really grateful for having a healthy body. Mm. Um, I think it's one of those things that we aren't always aware of when we feel healthy.
0: Wow. True. Right. It's not till stuff breaks down that you go, Oh, I was, I was doing good. Right. Right.
1: We don't walk around all day. Like, wow, I am so healthy right now. So few things hurt and I feel wonderful. Um, and I think bringing some attention to that can be pretty helpful for me. Um, I am also really grateful for this beautiful view of nature. Um, just the mountains around us. I don't know. I think sometimes, uh, I think cities kind of remind us of mountains a bit. Like you know, like in in New York City or in LA, when you're looking at the skyline and it sort of reminds you of uh, of nature a bit.
0: Yeah, uh, there's something you know, the the buildings and mountains. There's there's something about something bigger than you, right? That yes, um, that's exactly it. That kind of takes you out of yourself. Yes, right. Awe. Yeah, right. There's an awe, yeah. an awe factor. Absolutely. Um, but, but then there's the, the, all, what is that smell factor that (laughs) comes with (laughs) being in a big city? uh, You're like, oh, who just farted kind of thing. There is a bunch of awes that can happen (laughs) in this city. Um, and then you have a third thing. I do.
1: I'm, I'm really grateful for my colleagues. Um, people told me when going into private mental health practice that it was a really lonely thing. And um, I guess it can be at times, but I am really lucky to have a lot of colleagues who I get to interact with pretty regularly.
0: That's um, so important, right? Yeah. To, to not only enjoy the work that you do, but to enjoy the people that you're working with. Oh yeah, so big. You know, I because I, I'm an introvert, and I my last job I used to work at uh, Equinox. That was my last corporate gig, and uh, great company, great people. And I I was very conscious early on of, you know, there'd be parties and get-togethers that the colleagues would have. And I wouldn't want to go because I'd rather be by myself. But I realized, like, it's very important early on to establish relationships with the people that you work with because it just makes coming to work that much uh, better. And then you have things to talk about, you know, from the weekend and et cetera, et cetera. So I really made an effort to establishing and hanging out with my coworkers early on just to kind of introduce myself. And in that way, if you had a bad day, you had somebody you can talk about it with at work versus if you haven't really established a relationship, nobody wants to hear your, you know, your, gri- your gripe.
1: Exactly. I mean, work provides us connection, meaning and structure. Mm. And and establishing some of those connections early on can really help. I mean, in terms of loneliness and just sort of professional growth too.
0: Yeah, that's why it's like you know this whole culture of like w- you know you can work from home, you can work remotely. It's like you can also work alonely. Alone. Oh. Alonely <laughs> is not a word, but like but there's you know the, you know. <gasps> I, I it like we're we're in this culture where every everybody's trying to pitch you in, into working home yeah. instead of going into the office. But you know the office provides, like you said, connection, yeah. uh, social structure. You know structure. You put you're putting clothes on. Yeah. There's a reason to get out of bed and start your day. And then there's nothing better than sharing your weekend or at events with. Your coworkers are people, you know, the trash talking. Absolutely. Even if you hate your boss, it's fun to kind of all collectively hate your boss. You know, that's the fun of it. Whereas if you work for yourself, then you could just end up hating yourself.
1: <laughs> I, I worked from home for uh, about five years. It was the worst thing ever.
0: Wow. Yeah. And and so now you're back in an office. and yes. So tell us, uh, you know, because you know, I checked out your website. Yeah. Aaron Good, and you're in Portland, Oregon. I'm right? in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And uh, oh wait, I'm looking at the wrong website. Professional counselor. Uh, trailhead counseling. Trailhead. Uh, trailhead. Ca- uh, okay. Well, this this works for the the purpose yeah. of right User. now. Yes. But um. But so your focus is you you like to use a humanistic approach mm-hmm. and ecotherapy. Can you can you break down what ecotherapy is for the listeners out there?
1: Yeah. So, uh, eco psychology and ecotherapy are sort of based around the idea that um, our relationship with nature is an important part of our lives and mental health and physical health. Right. Um, and and a lot of the, the reading and studying that I've done has been, uh, there was this foundational work around, uh, I think, like patients recovering from surgery in the hospital who had a view of trees, sort of recovered faster and had fewer follow-up visits, Um with reported problems than people who just had a view of a brick wall. And, and so a lot of research since then has been sort of uh, coming off of that. Um, so it's sort of recognizing that interacting with nature um, provides some serious mental health benefits. Um, and that can range everything from, like, having a healing garden at a hospital so that people, you know, in recovery can spend time Um, with nature and interacting with nature to uh, wilderness therapy, to using nature metaphor in therapy.
0: Um, Nature metaphor. Yeah. Meaning? Uh,
1: Just sort of like uh, finding a metaphor that relates to someone's life that is, say, based in the natural world. Um, Like I'm trying to think of of an example, like uh, a traumatic experience, uh, maybe being like uh, an infected or dead limb on a tree rather and framing it that way rather than thinking like the whole tree, you know, of yourself is dying as
0: a result uh, got of that you. Trauma. Right. Right. Because, you know, when we paint those visual pictures, it helps people to understand, uh, things better. That's why we go to yeah. the movies, you know, you go to movies or you watch a show and it, they they put it in a way that you otherwise uh hadn't thought about it that makes sense for you that's why like zen and buddhism like they're always talking about trees and the the apple you know when you what, what I forget what it is oh there's a there's a zen saying that says uh the best time to plant a seed uh, is twenty years ago, yeah, totally. right? Uh, the second best time is now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, it's totally that whole. One. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and it's part of why. Uh, we're, right now, we're recording in my uh, my hotel room, and and I was, you know, Aaron walked in, he's like, oh man, this view is amazing, and part of the reason, like, I ha- I spend extra money to upgrade. I have the, I'm, I'm blessed that I can spend the extra money to upgrade. Uh, to get a room with a panoramic view of the mountains here in Vegas. And part of the reason I do that is for my mental health. There's something very powerful uh, about waking up and seeing mountains every morning to the point where I don't even close my blinds at all when I go to sleep at night because I want the sunlight to come in and wake me up. And it does. I wake up, when no matter what time I go to bed, the sun wakes me up in the morning and I don't feel groggy. I feel invigorated and, and ready to go. Uh, so you're right. There's something very powerful about that. The How do you, for people who live in areas that don't have mountains, you know, you're in Portland, so mm-hmm. that's a very uh, nature-rich environment. It is. What are things that people can do? And for the listeners out there, you know, I, I'm bringing this up because... A lot of times when we struggle with depression, mm-hmm. um, anxiety, we don't realize how much our environment affects our mood, oh, yeah. right? And not, and we're not just going to talk about getting outside because I've talked about going outside before. We're going to get a little deeper into how you can even bring nature into your house because even yes. talked about pictures. And when Aaron came in, I was actually playing nature sounds. (laughs) Because I was doing research about ecotherapy. I was like, what is this? And they were like, even nature sounds make you uh, feel relaxed. (laughs) So I cut off my classical music, and then I put on some bird sounds. And I was like, I do feel more relaxed. (laughs) So we're we're really going to delve into how you can bring the outside inside, because a a lot of you are experiencing winter right now, and that can Mm -hmm. be a challenge. So what, what are some Go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, this is an interesting point. So in my graduate program, um, we all of our classes, this was three years long, and all of our classes were pretty much in, like, inside rooms that were, like, <laughs> beige boxes, completely unadorned with fluorescent lighting. Right. So you can't see outside. You can't tell what time of day it is. Um
0: and it's like Vegas, yeah, totally, but just <laughs> a little not less bright, stimulating. Yeah, yeah, less than um <laughs> or jail, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And and I started, oh, that's
0: uh, uh, right, that because when I think about even when I went through my master's, like most of my classes were like either uh, below level or at night, like it, like you were just yep. all, there was no there were no windows, there nope. was no yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> it, was, it was
1: very isolating, and, yeah, and. You know, I thought about bringing things in to put on the walls, but ultimately I collected a uh, a stone and a pine cone and, like, one of those really, like, leathery, shiny leaves, you know, like off of maybe a rhododendron or something like that, and just brought these nature objects in with me, and I'd set them out on the table in front of me.
0: Really? In class?
1: Yeah, just to see something that wasn't, like rectilinear Dead, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and made of like plaster or plastic
0: that is fascinating i i love that idea cuz i mean you do it with your apartment right yeah. and you and you, you see people who do it with their uh cubicles mm-hmm. they bring you know they have pictures of their oh, family God. right Bring it into the cubicle yeah, i like that yeah and uh and but i've never thought about bringing it into your class and you know and i bet you that would really help for a lot of kids because, you know, you, oh, you have the you have the kids who are classes that have animals yeah. in there. But I've never thought about plants in the classroom, yeah. I which think is a great it idea. Would thrive. Absolutely. Wow. All right. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like we could just end the podcast there. Like, I feel like we've solved. Bring a rock to work. Yeah, we've just. Problem solved. Because, you know, the research does show that, uh, you know, plant life and feeling connected to nature and even seeing pictures of nature, it reduces anxiety. Mm-hmm. It reduces depression. It even helps children, especially, to focus better. That, you know, the idea of just even visualizing green space, oh yeah, right, re- reduces a lot of that anxiety. So why not bring that into class?
1: And, and it's, it's funny you mentioned, uh, maybe not funny, but you mentioned jail or, or prison a minute ago. And they, uh, an old professor of mine, uh, Dr. Patricia Hasbach, she's been working on this study with the Oregon State Penitentiary of bringing... Um, I think it's maybe like an ou- watching an hour of nature video for the folks who are in um I don't think it's solitary confinement but like high security or you know where they're in their cells pretty much all day um and they're working on this study I think still to figure out whether it reduces um like violent incidents in there so which honestly like go ahead No go ahead uh I'm like we we are alleviating suffering a little bit there, and that's awesome. But then, like, are we making uh, like a really unjust system more tolerable just to feel better about it? I'm not sure.
0: That- well, I you know I, there I, I like that. That's a great question, and I see it uh, two different ways. Yeah. One, I, I see it as like this is great. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, because what you're also doing is you're teaching people who are in prison like what would calm them down oh, so that they have that skill and then you're when they get out of jail yes. because what happens is they're in prison for so long and they're not learning the best coping skills in prison they're mm-hmm. just learning how to survive and mm-hmm. they're reading books like 48 laws of power right not 48 ways to nature And I think that if you instill in them the importance of nature and uh, as a self-soothing technique, that then, you know, hopefully they don't rob you (laughs) <laughs> when they get out or, or, you know, assault you in some way. You know, I, I think that's great. You know, I, when, when I went to yoga yesterday, that's exactly what they had playing on the, on the screens, our, our nature videos. But at the same time, I it, it mean, and I could see that in especially places where they have prisons in the mm-hmm. where they have snow in winter where you can't let them outside right. for, you know, long periods of time. So to come up with, and even maybe playing bird sounds, over the PA system. Yeah. It, it's like that scene in Shawshank. Remember when he, uh, when he played oh, the, the classical l- music? Yes. And everybody just stopped what they were doing. And it was just like this piece of, you know, this sense of calm and serenity just.
1: You're, you're touching on beauty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think. But, uh, but, yeah, but it's very powerful j- to imagine it, to see it, to, you know, even at my house uh, when I'm home, We have a a huge screen TV, and I usually watch TV on my laptop. But what I use the big screen television for is I put on uh, a fish tank. Like, I go to YouTube and find, like, 4K fish videos, and (laughs) then I just have that playing. That's really awesome. And it's soothing. It's ridiculous, but it's it's so soothing, you know? Um, Have you... How have you... um, incorporated, like, ecotherapy with your clients. Are you taking your clients outside?
1: Um, I'm working on that. Okay. It's been sort of, uh, like, I offer walk-and-talk therapy in the park, but it turns out a lot of people appreciate the sort of container of the counseling room. But I very specifically picked a counseling office um, with a view of trees mm. and of nature. And every October, also around, Late afternoon, about a 1,000 crows descend on those trees. and
0: uh, So it's a great visual while yeah, you're sitting there. Absolutely. And I'm sure you can pull metaphors, like just like these crows outside. <laughs> <on> the- <laughs> who are drowning us out as yeah. we speak, yeah, with their,
1: their cawing. Um, and a friend and I are actually working on developing uh, a wilderness counseling uh, business, like taking folks who want some intensive counseling, both individual and group, Sort of around uh, personal growth, taking them out to the Wallawas, which is this wild area in uh, eastern Oregon.
0: And what got you into this? Like, when, at what point oh, you like, this is the this is the direction I need? To what you like know, eco psychology, eco psychology. Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
1: I think I was profoundly bored in my graduate program, mm. and was like, "How can I inject something that I really care about?" Um, that's something that I'm really interested in. Where, where is the, hmm, I'm looking for the, like the organic element. Where is the, I don't know. The first year of, of graduate school seemed sort of like very, uh, slow and I needed some stimulation, I think. And I found this eco psychology program in town and was like, holy cow, why did I not know about this? Um, and I found a lot of connection there and a lot of growth there um, and was able... Like, I had no idea such a thing existed before. Right. Like, this is what I wanted to be doing.
0: Because mm-hmm. um, you combine two things that you loved and valued.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I looked back at my admissions essay for graduate school and was like, oh, yeah. I said I wanted to be taking people, like, out on the river in a canoe or doing therapy in a treehouse. So... Some clients call my office the treehouse. So
0: wow,
1: it seems to be working out.
0: That You, you know what I love about what you said? Uh, you said inject into. I, I want to point out two things that yeah. I think were really pivotal. Uh, you said you were bored with the program, and then you were like, how can I inject something else into this? And I highlight those two things because I think that, when we get bored with things, we often just quit. Mm. Or we, we uh, if you get bored with a relationship, you just end the relationship. Or you quit your... I was bored with my job, so I quit the job. Mm-hmm. Versus thinking, how can I or how can we inject some spice, some something extra, another value, like yeah. figuring out what, what piece is missing? Because all the pieces aren't missing. You have... Most of the pieces or else you you wouldn't have got involved with it. Um, but what else needs to be injected into it, injected into your life? Even if you're just looking at your life and you say, I'm bored with life, what do you need to inject into it to, to spice? And that yeah. that takes some work or it takes a therapist. It takes, uh, you know, um, you know journaling and, and really introspection, introspection yeah. And, yeah. and going for a walk out in nature. That's why I love going for a walk. You know, it it really, I call them thought walks because yeah, totally. you, you know, you start off thinking you're going to be thinking about one thing. And then by the time you get back, you're like, Oh, that's what mm-hmm. that meant. Or that's how to do this. You know, that, you know, it's, it's so powerful and valuable. Have you worked with clients who, uh, have thought about suicide?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And, like, what are they typically... How are they typically expressing that? And mm-hmm. then how are you... Are there strategies or things that you you do to help them uh, move through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of folks... I, I think I can identify at least two different sets. Okay. One of them is... Something terrible has happened in my life, and it 's making me think about killing myself and the other is more like, Wait a second, what is the point of life and i 'm what if I could end my life, and what does it mean that I have that power to do that
0: mm. um, so one 's more external one's more internal yeah, right
1: totally um, and I think with with the internal folks, the folks who are like oh, wait a second, what is the point of life? Like, I have a choice about whether I can live. Um, For those folks, I think it's just validating that that is a normal part of the human experience and that it doesn't mean you are absolutely going to kill yourself. Um, So just sort of talking about how they find meaning in their lives, um, you know, a focus on, on connecting with themselves and with others, Um, And really, it really just comes down to, I think, normalizing in in those cases of, like, a lot of people think about, like, how strange it is that we're alive and um, fear that there is no meaning to life. And, I mean, sort of depends where you fall on that. But, like, even if there is no meaning to life,
0: um, I don't know, our connections with others sort of propel us forward. (laughs) You know, that's so true. It's like nobody's having that conversation at dinner or at the bar or, you know, (laughs) with family over the holidays. Like, hey, what's the meaning of life? Like, I mean, what's the point of us being here, right? We're just going to (laughs) die in like 50 to, uh, you know, 90 years. And uh, it's something that a lot of people think. You think about it if you're working two jobs. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about it if, you know, you're staying up late trying to finish that paper. Uh what was that? Oh, that's Some my <laughs> somebody said something to us. <laughs> my my bluetooth is uh is excited. Um and and I, you know, I've had that thought since I was a kid. I was mm-hmm. like, what am I doing here? What's the point of life? And you're right. The connections we have with people are so powerful. Mm-hmm. I have a 9-year-old nephew and I'm so excited about how he's developing that uh, it gives me uh juice it gives me it gives me a reason mm-hmm. sometimes to get out of bed and go do something That's because really I w- I want to be cuz he's 9 years old he speaks three languages Whoa. English, Spanish and uh Korean. Oh wow. Uh he's he's like he's taking uh taekwondo so for Taekwondo you have to learn uh, Korean. Totally. So that's how he's learning it. And he's really smart, very precocious and I'm, I I'm just like I'm fascinated by his development at nine. And uh, and I want to be around to see him develop and grow, and, and it, you know by sixteen he'll be a jerk, and I'd be like <laughs> ah, I wasn't worth it. Then I'd be out of here. But <laughs> but but that's part of what fuels me is is him, but also the fans and doing shows mm-hmm. and my friends and family and even just random daily meetings with people like I, running yeah, into you talking totally. to you like you know we were only talking for a few minutes but I was I was so enthralled by the work you did and so fast I yeah. was excited and I was like I can't wait to talk to this guy <laughs> and, and be like what eco there like what is that and what is he doing and how does it come together you know so uh but but yeah validating the fact that a lot of people think about like why are we here mm-hmm. you know it's a normal question um and, and not to reduce that. And so not I'm sorry, not no, to cut you off. I just want no, to, to really that highlight that. And uh and so after you so when you say validate, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Because we hear that word, you know, especially in couples therapy. Yeah. It's like you have to validate your partner. It's <laughs> like what does validate what does it mean to validate my emotions and what does it mean to validate someone else's? Yeah,
1: I would say it's uh a focus on listening and expressing that like that you're not trying to fix that 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 you understand uh with your whole being um that you might not be able to directly understand their situation and the exact emotion that they're expressing but that um that you hear it and that you want to understand it and that you're willing to ask questions to sort of tease it out of them a little bit more and, and without trying to fix it and without saying like, oh, well, you should do this mm. or, um, well, this is because of that.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the, the when, when someone is, uh, you know, whether they are sharing their suicidal ideations with you or you are feeling or you're experiencing suicidal ideations, uh, a very important question that, I love to go to is tell me more about that. Yeah. Because a lot of times we stop at the initial statement of why are we here? This sucks. And then we go, "Uh, yeah, life does suck. And then it's just, just, we just spiral out versus saying, you know what? Why are we here? Tell me more about that. Tell me more about what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about what you're feeling so that we can get to the source of why we're here because you know why you're here and why I'm here two different we're we're motivated by two different things right right? um so using that question you know write that down boys and girls tell me more about that and and even if and it's a very powerful question when you're getting into an argument with someone because a lot of times somebody be like I hate you and then you know I hate you too you see that with kids Mm -hmm. and, and parents versus saying tell me more about that. You hate me. Tell me more about that. And being genuine, like, I want to know where that's coming from, why you feel that way. And then we can, then we can start to have meaningful dialogue versus reacting to what someone said. Oh man,
1: you're you're hitting on one of my favorite topics here. Go Um, go ahead, brother. Nonviolent communication. Yes. uh, Also called compassionate communication because nonviolent communication sounds violent, but um. Just it
0: does. Yeah.
1: Right. People. <laughs> people are like, oh, I thought that's just for anger management. I'm like, no oh, man, it's for for connecting with others. And and like one of my most mm-hmm. favorite parts from that are like the four ways of hearing a difficult message. Like you know, let's say we were on a, a trip today, and you're like, dude, I am really not having fun on this trip. And our first option is um hearing blame and blaming the other person. So I'm like well, you're not having fun because, like, uh, you wore too much warm clothing and you're kind of a jerk. The second option is hearing blame and uh, blaming ourselves. Like, man, I really let you down by, like, taking you on such a crappy hike. third option is, like, um, hearing our own feelings and needs in that moment of, like, well, I'm – that's a hard one. This is always a hard one, like – I am feeling kind of sad about that because I was really hopeful that we could have a good time. And then that, that fourth option, was, which is sort of where you were going, is um, hearing the other person's feelings and needs. You're telling me you're not really having a fun time on this trip. Like, um, are you feeling disappointed? Like, tell me that feeling. Like, are you feeling disappointed because you need uh, adventure?
0: Mm. Yeah. So it's like you said, like earlier, you were talking about like you felt bored because you needed uh, you needed something physical as to be a part of it or something visual. Right. It was like, how do you bring the physical to the mental?
1: Because I I totally moved through those stages in that, too. Mm -hmm. Like, heard, you know, I feel bored. There must be something wrong with me. I feel bored. There must be something wrong with this program. I feel bored because I need stimulation. And where can I get it? I'll go get it.
0: Right. And I think that's why a lot of kids end up on, you know, taking uh, prescription meds. You know, it's like, oh, you're bored in class. You can't sit still. Something's wrong with you. Nothing's Mm -hmm. wrong with the class or the teacher or the fact that we're we're beings and we're meant to move. We're not meant to sit still. We're like sharks. We should not (laughs) be in one place for too long. You know what I mean? We're not meant to be caged in a classroom, or in a cubicle, or in an office. But some people thrive in those situations. Leo Flowers is not one of those. (laughs) (laughs) I got to jiggle. I got to wiggle and move. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm constantly up and down. (laughs) And I I like to lay down. I'm on the floor. I'm all over the place. I'm a nine-year-old at all times. (laughs) And uh, I I used to think there was something weird and and strange about that. But then um, even when I used to substitute teach, I would... I would give the, the class the lesson, mm-hmm. and then I would say, sit wherever you want. I don't care if you sit on a desk, lay on the floor, as long as you get the work done. Yeah. And we get so caught up in these tiny things and rituals and structure that we lose point of the big picture. The big picture is I want you all cooperating and getting the work done. Yeah. Right? I don't care if you sit on top of each other to get it done. <laughs> just get the Human work pyramid. done and yes. don't hurt anybody, <laughs> right? Don't hurt yourself, don't hurt anybody mm-hmm. else. Get the work done and we all get an A, right? And and so in our life, you know, don't get so caught up in, you know, how this being perfect versus like, all right, how do we just get it done? Mhm. And, and, you know, that's how Facebook, you know, that's why they're worth billions of dollars. They're like, move fast and uh, break things or yeah. something like that, whatever. <laughs> um, not, so compassionate yeah. communication. And how, because that is a tough one. Yeah. You know, we, we so we so often focus on what someone said to us. And how but, it affects us. And how it affects us. Yeah. And we we never really complain about how we are talking to ourselves, dude. Yes, right. That never comes yeah. up, man. You, you wouldn't believe what hey. I said to myself earlier. Like nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody dude, does that.
1: Yeah, because we think we can take it. We think we can like communicate really poorly with ourselves because we're like, well, I've been doing it this long, and like there don't seem to be any repercussions. So like, man, I'm a real failure.
0: Wow. And how do you how do you uh, redirect that? Like is it should we I remember I had a, a, a client once and I and I told like he was talking about having these negative thoughts. And I was like, you know what? Let's just start off with the negative thoughts. Let's go into it. You know, tell me everything. And he didn't want to do it. Mm. And I and, and I didn't know how to nudge him, encourage him, inspire him through it. But looking back, I realized you know, it's like you're, you've been doing it anyway. Right. And now I'm giving you permission to do it. And now there's resistance. Yeah. But what I found is when I'm having those spiraling, uh, quote unquote, negative thoughts, that if I feed it intentionally, then um, I come out on the other side with love and compassion and self-care because I'm not putting up a resist. I'm not yes. oh, I shouldn't be instead of going, oh, I shouldn't think that I just go yeah, Leo, yeah, you lazy, you just laying here, look at you all just wallowing in bed. Look at what time it is, you know. You ain't got no clothes on, you ain't showered. Like, I just make it really (laughs) ridiculous and exaggerated. And then it becomes a joke because it's like, because it is ridiculous the things that you're beating yourself up about, you know what I mean?
1: This is, (laughs) man, you are hitting on, uh, yeah, this this awesome part of uh, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, where like, With those negative messages, it recommends using like a Donald Duck voice inside your head, like,
0: you're a real failure. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do anything right.
1: And that sort of, I think, both helps to like distance that voice from like who you are really and just realize the ridiculousness of it while not trying to fight it.
0: That is hysterical. You know, that, (laughs) hold on, first of all, Can you do other Disney voices? Oh, boy. Do not hold out on me, (laughs) Aaron. This.
1: (laughs) Wait, I can do some creepy voices.
0: No, you don't want to hear (laughs) that. The
1: only things I can say in the creepy voices are creepy. (laughs) All right, yeah. We were
0: were like, we were doing so well, Mm -hmm. and then he did the creepy voice, Mm -hmm. and everything went downhill. Uh, (laughs) Everyone turned it off and left. You know, (laughs) Donald Duck voice, huh? And, you know, most of the listeners are like, I can't do a Donald Duck voice. But, you know, uh, to tie into that, uh, I remember one of my therapists uh, told me to act like I'm talking to my nine-year-old self. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that helps me, too. I also love the idea of, like, talking to my nine-year-old self in a Donald Duck <laughs> voice. Now I'm going to double down.
1: Because <laughs> your nine-year-old self would find that really entertaining yeah, and confusing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Work out you laying in bed. Nah, I don't know. It's all, I can't do it. <laughs> my voice is too deep. That's hysterical. Um, so you said the act, communi- what was that? AC- Acceptance
1: and... Commitment therapy. I don't really actively practice it
0: or okay. focus on it, but okay. it's like it's one technique I know from it. It's hot
1: these days, I tell you.
0: And so, so let's can we go back to the compassionate yeah. communication. Yeah. What are some other ways that we can compassionately communicate uh, with ourselves mm. or with others? You know. Uh, because Valentine's Day just passed, yeah. and people getting into arguments either with their family or with their parents or, or with uh, a teacher or with themselves, or they're having this internal... What are what are some other ways um, that we can practice that compassionate?
1: I think with ourselves, um, identifying what we're feeling and, and learning some vocabulary around that so we can really identify it. You know, not just bad, but like... I feel uh, unwanted. I feel inadequate. Um identifying our need, like I
0: need connection, I need recognition. Um Now, can you break down the difference cuz that's powerful. I I have such a hard time expressing my needs um, cuz I don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. I you most know, I'm just I'm thinking don't. about other people's needs, yeah, right? right? That's where I think most of us are. We're like people pleasers and, and things like that. How do, what's the difference between a need and a want? Um, oh, boy. A, like, emotionally. <laughs> is that is that a heavy... But you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there's there's what you need, and then there's what you want. Mm. I mean, mm. I have an answer. For, not an, I guess, like, to me, like, a need is uh, something you can't live without, mm. right? Yeah. Like, I need to exercise every day, or else I, I need can't activity. sleep. I need yeah. activity. I yeah. need movement. Um, I need human interaction, yeah. not a lot, but I definitely need some, um, I need novelty yeah. every day. I re- I recognize that here's what's interesting. I recognize that the more novelty I have in my life, the less I, uh, binge eat or watch TV yeah. because of the. Uh, really, my eating is me trying to stimulate myself because I'm bored. Oh, interesting! And so, and you recognize I, that huh. I have to consciously. I'm just. I'm. I'm still working on it. Yeah. It's not. But so I have to consciously and and I I've re- recognized that I've historically been trying to um, treat my boredom mm. with food, television, sex. Yeah. Right. And now uh i am in very intentional about treating it with uh novelty and ex- even if it costs me i've let i realize i let money prevent me from doing things mm. like i have i have some i have some money now um and uh, but I'm s I'm always worried about losing money. Mm-hmm. So I'm like trying to well, I wanna spend it. But then I end up spending it on dumb stuff. Uh, so instead now I'm just being intentional about listen, I'm just trying to win the day. Yeah. Instead of ten like I can't, like my brain's not wired to think five, ten years from now. So I've just yeah. realized if I just focus on how do I win the day, yeah, no matter what it cost me, um, then today will be Today tomorrow will take care of itself, ah, but I got to get through today. You know what I mean? I yeah. got to get through the moment. Right? Um, I got way off track. I don't know how we even no. got through <laughs> to through that. we I don't even know what we're talking uh, about. Your
1: your needs, your need oh, for needs. for novelty, absolutely, and um, recognizing uh, that and feeding that.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I have, yeah, I I recognize because I remember I was dating this girl uh, from Italy, and and uh, I remember she just out the blue was like. Do you get bored easily and it always stuck with me and we had only we didn't know each other for yeah. that long but it was it was a very powerful question because at the time I was like oh maybe she thinks I'm bored with her mm. but then I realized i i do like i i i bore very easily i have a, um not that I have a short attention span but um you know i'm, I'm I like to move through things i like to have like 20 different things in my day. Like, oh, I yeah. get excited when I have 20 things on the calendar and they're all different. And, um, but versus like, oh, I got to sit in this eight hour meeting or a seminar. No. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to bring a plant with me to the yeah. seminar. <laughs> I brought my yeah.
1: ficus and it's 50 pounds.
0: Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's like your, your pain is your solution, is like, you know, that whole idea of moving into it because <laughs> it's telling you something, your boredom is telling you something your your discomfort is telling you something um and it's uh as opposed to, it's not a problem i mean it's a problem if you don't address it
1: right i mean i think uh the more you know yourself the more you can adjust your behavior to uh i don't know feed your soul in what way like uh, recognizing that you get bored easily means you can adjust your behavior to engage in things that make you feel less bored, and that are also healthy for you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like, what are like what are things that you do? You have like a, a daily routine?
1: Oh man, I wish I did.
0: Really? You, do you have a, a do you have <laughs> think, a morning like, or nighttime?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I get up every morning, usually between five and six, and make coffee for my fiance and. No, you know, I've been trying to figure that out. I don't think I have much of a, a routine. Although I've figured out, like, how much a routine can help. Like, mm-hmm. when I shut down my office for the day, if I do the exact same thing, it's, like, really easy. If I try and do something out of order, I'm like, ah, oh, I left my pants in the closet, and I left the wrong light on, and I didn't lock the thing, and I get to do... It's got to... Yeah. It helps me a lot to have that
0: routine. So you and your fiancé, like, yeah. you guys have gotten in arguments. Mm-hmm. And what kind of uh how are you how are you navigating through the uh disagreement? Oh boy. Th- that, <laughs> this is that so like when I when I went to couples therapy, you know, a yeah. therapist uh, you know, was teaching us listening techniques mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of going back to like tell me more about that versus yeah. reacting. Um can you can you give us an example of a time like you you navigate it through a, a disagreement and it doesn't have to be your mm, own or yeah. help the client navigate through, uh, you know, uh, going back to that compassionate, um,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I can use a real example from my life here cause I hope she'll appreciate it. Um, it's something like just, uh, taking the trash out or doing the dishes. Right. Um, and sort of, I think she had said something like you never take the trash out and, and words like never oh. are like, but I know that I do, so that's wrong, and and then you get kind of stuck there. Yes. Um. And so I think just trying to keep pulling out what what the other person is feeling, um. and I think sort of the dam broke it, like, I feel unappreciated, you know, she said to me. I'm like, oh, that's a terrible feeling. I don't want you to feel unappreciated right. in our partnership. I value so much, like, everything you do for our household. Yes. And, like what can I do to share that appreciation more with you?
0: Take out the trash. Take out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like show, show appreciation. Totally. Wow. That, like recognize it. Yeah. Thank you, for,
1: thank you for doing that. It was helpful. You know, thank, thank you. It saved me five minutes from my day. Wow. And then that turned it around to realize like, Oh, those, those five minutes, like I can, I'm happy to just take those five minutes and not have her have to do that stuff too. So,
0: right. Yeah. And you know what? And Cause a lot of times we use that all-or-nothing language, mm-hmm. uh, not only with our significant others, but we use it on ourselves. Oh, totally. Like, you always do this, yes. Leo. You're always, you never, and you'll never make it, and this always happens, and this is just how it is, you know. Oh, yeah. That very black and white, which, you know, spirals into a sense of, like, helplessness and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And so... You said you, you, you teased that out of, you know, it was like, instead of saying, well, I don't, I, it's not that I never take, I took it out three days ago. Right. Like, you didn't go into that. You, you went into. I don't know quite how
1: I navigated it. But what, what I do know is that, like, it's important to recognize that when you're in the listener role. So, you know, if I had just responded with like, oh, yeah, well, I feel attacked right now you know, just, like, countering, you, you're, like, you don't want to be really fencing, you know? like You want to be fight. absorbing. Yeah, listening. Um, and some, it's very hard for most of us to stay in that listening role. Um,
0: now, how do we know, I mean, how do we know who should be the listener and who should be the um, talker? The,
1: the, yeah. I'm thinking about that one.
0: Is it the person? You know, I, I assume it's the person whoever ha- opens up with the gripe first, right? <laughs> it's like if your wife comes home and is like, "You didn't take out the trash." Well, you don't go, "Well, you didn't do the dishes." Like, yes, you know what I'm totally. saying? Which yes. is what happens. Yeah,
1: right? I, I think it's when you when you hear a message, um, you know, even sorry, not even not even difficult messages, but like anything that someone's communicating with you, right. like how can you receive that? You know. Um, because a lot of communications are a request for something, like acknowledgement, connection. Um, and so, like, how can I respond in a way that, that provides that connection?
0: Wow. You know, that's powerful because even, you know, I have a, a lot of parents who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And they have kids who struggle uh, or who share their suicidal ideations. Oh, wow. And they don't know how to respond. Oh, man. Uh, to that and, you know, to a, a kid who says I, I want to. I, even I told my mom when I. It, it's interesting. I, when I was nine, I told my mom I wanted to kill myself when I turned 40, which uh, you were at the show. And, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but talked about on. that. But, you know, but I don't. But she didn't have any type <laughs> of emotional response to it at all. She was just like. All right, like forty, cool. You know, like it was just like. <laughs> well, like, I guess I don't need bed. to worry about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't remember there being like a, a discussion, or you know, like we got to get them in a therapy. It was just like, all right. Um, but you know, for the parents out there who are are hearing this from their children, yeah. um, how how should they respond? Like, how, is you know, what's I, that?
1: I I would honestly I think the first part is uh, being willing to ask directly about it. You know, okay. if a kid's like, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Like, are you, are you considering, like, ending your life? Mm. And, like, and how would you do that? Um, and when are you planning on doing that? Just to understand, like, if they have access to the means and that is what they are considering. Because I think often we dance around that. Um, you know, how, some, What do you mean, dance like, around Like, that it. someone's like, uh, you know, even a kid, like, oh, I just wish I was dead. Um, or you see that they're depressed, but uh, that people, I think, are not willing to ask, like, are you thinking about killing yourself? That are th- you thinking about ending your life?
0: Right, because there's a difference between someone saying, I want to kill myself, and yeah. someone saying, like, I'm going to kill myself, and you really want to hone in on the, the severity of it. Yeah. When I call the suicide hotline, you know, the, the one of the first questions I'll ask you is, like, on a scale of one to five, where are you, yeah. you know? Um, and then before you get off the phone, they ask that question. They be If you go, all right, I'm ready to go, they're like, wait, on a scale Hold of on. one to five, mm-hmm. where are you, you know? and And that's a great thing, like, if you're, you know, if you're a parent or you have a friend who you're having this discussion with and you're trying to talk them down, you know, kind of get that one to five cents from them at the beginning, oh yeah, and then before they go to bed, or you know, get that one to five cents uh, at the end of the conversation, also yeah. to make sure to, that you're, you're moving the needle in the right direction, right? Um, so after a parent, um, uh, you know, asks the question yeah. and and is direct, right? What's the what's the next step there?
1: I, I would move into sort of. Uh, listening with empathy, empathic receiving, sort of trying to understand what's, like what the child is feeling. Are you f- you're you're feeling upset right now? You're feeling um, like what's going on? Like uh, sort of understanding maybe something around the stimulus, right? Like, okay, right. things you're not happy at school. Like, are you feeling bullied at school? Mm. And and it's important to remember that it's okay to be wrong. So, especially, I could imagine young kids getting annoyed at you know their parents being wrong about what's going on, but right. you can continue to probe. Like, are you feeling you know sad that the school year is ending? Mm. Um, are you feeling you know there, di- yeah. Dis- yeah, disappointed that we didn't get to go to the movies for like two nights in a row or something like that? Like, what what is that feeling? Um,
0: you know, I love that. You're right because there, there's no wrong way of probing in that way of probing the oh, yeah. emotions. And, you know, I never thought about the anxiety that kids feel with the end of the school year because uh, now it could mean for some kids that they don't see any kids until school starts back up and mm-hmm. that's three months of being alone at home, Yeah, uh, you know, twiddling their thumbs or whatever. Uh, so there's yeah. anxiety with that. Um, and uh, and there's no right, – and I love that you're, you're specific in asking the questions. Instead of just saying, what are you feeling, saying – are you feeling disappointed? Like guessing, totally. guess yeah. the feeling.
1: It's like it's like throwing darts at a dartboard mm. in order to eventually hit the bullseye, rather than I don't know, like saying, "Hey, kid, where th- should I throw this dart?" or something like that.
0: that work? Yeah, because so. a lot of kids don't have the uh, the vocabulary mm-hmm. of. I mean a lot of it would be no, asking, a lot, of, lot adults. of adults. I, you know, I, I and i I know I've reiterated this a million times on the podcast, but you know, my language around relationships has always been I'm pissed or I'm cool. Yeah. You know, i, I mean, it's like, those were the only two things that I knew. Like yeah. I was either at zero or a hundred and I didn't understand the nuances of I'm hurt. I'm bothered. Right. I'm disappointed. I'm overwhelmed. Like, All these other ways of, or even on the positive side, I'm excited. I'm overjoyed. I am uh, exuberant. I'm I'm ecstatic. Like there's there's such a a vast emotional language that we never really learn at any point in our unless your parents are therapists. that's the only time when you you're gonna hear the more subtle nuances of the emotional uh, spectrum. Totally feeling spectrum.
1: That's that's why I love using this feelings wheel. Yeah. It, it pretty much anyone can find it online. It's like it starts with just like bad, good in the middle, happy, sad, and it like it branches out and the outer edges of the wheel have like all these individual emotions. So right. You can sort of start somewhere in the middle and Work your way out to the for, edge. For the
0: listeners out there, look up the, the feelings wheel. You know, just Google that and, and and write down some of those feelings that you may have felt before. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't feel them now, be like, oh, yeah, I felt that before. And I felt it because it's going to come back up again. Oh, yeah. um, even cause, and, and I even think that a lot of kids and adults who say, like, you know, who uh, express that they want to, uh, you know, take their life, mm-hmm. Um. really just want to say, I'm feeling lonely. Yeah. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm in disappointed. pain. I'm, in, I'm pain, in so much pain right but now. And the only language I have is I want to kill myself. Yep. But no one will listen. But no one will listen. Yeah. And I don't know how else to say it. And so they keep saying that. And then they believe it because they've been saying it. And then people start to funnel the energy towards that yeah. versus really getting at the root emotional, like, killing yourself is an action that's so that's external but we have but what we need to do is get to the internal the core right, like what's the
1: seed like i am feeling so hopeless because my wife left and i don't have any friends and i feel disconnected right and all my will do is say like uh you'll get over her, man, or it's better off for you anyway
0: absolutely like that. yeah, instead of validating the emotions yeah. once again and and you even see that with um you know I, I read so many stories about kids who are straight a students mm-hmm. and really thriving and then they they take their lives and and it goes i think it ties into two things one is they feel like they always have to get an A because mm-hmm. that always thing I can never oh, yeah. fail. So they get they have the always conversation. They have the never uh, loop going through their head, and then also um, they uh, um, don't. I, I had something else I was going to add to that. Uh, so then you know they they're, they're yeah. such perfectionists. That, you know, they think, well, I, I want to kill myself, but they haven't learned the emotional language of mm. saying, I'm overwhelmed, I need help, yeah. I don't understand, uh, I, I need a break, um, that, you know.
1: yes, yeah, yeah, you know, those were some of the hardest folks to work with were like adolescents, um, you know, like middle school through high school um, around suicide because it's like it seems like, never ends for people at that age like they they look ahead and they're like my work situation or my, sorry my school situation or my home situation is terrible and um or I'm, wh- I'm underperforming at school and I've got another four to six years of this and there's no way out
0: yeah uh, yeah, and they, they, yeah, right, they they can't, it's like, I'll never get over this. You know, that, yeah, especially in the they, breakups. Right. They take the breakups hard, and they don't think they're going to find anybody else. It's going to ruin my life. Ruin my life right. if you're, like, 12. Right. Yeah, but it's, not to it, diminish, but no, that's how it feels. It does,
1: because, like, it's hard when you don't have that perspective of the world um, to know that things often do get better like if you don't have that it's it's hard to tell someone else right right?
0: or or if not even get better change like like the 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 situation you're in is not always going to be that situation um you know it's going to change in in some aspects that's uh that's fascinating the so you work with groups and you work with individuals Mm -hmm. and uh now, what do you do with the, in a group settings?
1: Uh, we do nonviolent communication slash compassionate communication training and facilitation and uh, practice groups where we, you know, it varies, but, you know, for the practice groups, we all sort of read through Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication, together, mm-hmm. and we, like, we practice it together and we work through some questions together. Um, we also do training for organizations who are dealing with,
0: with communication um, and issues. do you have games that you play? It sounds like if you're working with groups that there are like maybe communication games oh, or connection games.
1: Um, we do. Ha- I mean, we build activities in, into the work that we how do.
0: So, like what kind of activities?
1: I would say it's kind of like classroom work,
0: you mm, know. Okay. Um,
1: but also modeling nonviolent communication in the group and how we communicate with the group. Um, and I have a co-facilitator, uh, Jen Burrell, who is very, very skilled at that. And I, and I look to her as a, sort of a model for how to use that.
0: Are there any writing exercises that people can uh, do or um, journaling exercises? Hmm.
1: Not that I can think of off the top okay. of my head related to nonviolent communication. I mean, there are... A, a really basic one um, that we have a lot of people do is just looking at whether... Like, going out in the world and noticing whether they are just observing something or evaluating something. Mm. Like, um, you know, that guy uh, on the bus is speaking loudly and yelling at people like as the observation versus, like, that guy's really messed up. Or, like, that guy's a jerk.
0: Mm. Um, just sort
1: of being aware of when we're using judgment and diagnosis.
0: You know, that that's huge, yeah, right, because it's so important. To, because how we talk about other people... And two other people is how we yes. talk to ourselves. Yes. You know, uh, I talked in the last podcast about uh, a girl I was seeing, and and she was talking about her boss, and me and her had just started uh, talking, and she kept calling him an idiot, and I was like, oh, this is something I can't. This is someone I can't be with oh, because I, I, I. You know, my head was thinking like two, three years from now, where I, I don't take the trash out or mm. I don't do the dishes. And I'm she's like, "You idiot!" And yeah. I'm like, "I do not want to be on a receiving end of that because you know, at 42, I've dated enough women to know that not every woman talks like that or uses that kind of uh, communication." I was like, "I can't bring that into uh, my 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 mental sphere." Right. I just made that up, boys right. and girls. <laughs> the mental, mental sphere. sphere. Um,
1: <laughs> Welcome to Leo's mental sphere.
0: Uh, now, uh, are there you know to to wrap up? Is uh-huh. there anything that Uh, You want to share any, uh, you know, like you said, you've had clients who have come in and uh, with suicidal ideations. And are there um, are there anecdotes or stories of people you've helped navigate? Then, like, how do they cope? How do they get past it? Or, you know, are you still working with them? You know, if that that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does make sense. I think um, I'm thinking about that one. That's going to take me a second. I think uh bring, bringing it back to the to the beginning where we talked about folks um, or we touched on folks where a specific situation has caused this this suicidal ideation right um, I think simply sort of recognizing uh just like folks dealing with the sort of existential dread, um, recognizing that this is a you know a normal response to this situation and that their feelings of wanting to kill themselves. Um, like, are are valid, um, and that sort of getting a commitment that they are not going to kill themselves, and so we just—I mean—I think that's in general what counseling about is about: is building that relationship, yeah, um, and building that relationship around trust and connection, and having that be sort of a, a safe place for them to express that fear um, of killing themselves or desire to kill themselves without judgment, without someone trying to fix them right um, where they can just feel heard
0: yeah cuz you, you can't fix that right right, right? It's, a, it's something that like you said it depends on you know uh you said you have two types of clients and sometimes you get the you get the the two types in one client i'm sure um where something ex- like there was something internal of in terms of how they thought about life and then something external also happens yeah. to double down yeah, totally. on um you know how they feel, or uh, to um, push them in that direction, and uh, you know for the for the people out there who are experience, you know, there's that adage of it's you know suicide is a, 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 a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I firmly disagree with that adage because, like we both said, it, you can't fix suicide. I don't think you could fix suicide ideation in some people, uh, especially if it's... Because it, sometimes it's just response and a reaction mm-hmm. to it. And it's something that can always circle back around. Right. Which is why I'm so diligent daily yeah. in terms of how I'm navigating my life. Because I don't want for one second think that just because I don't feel the flames right now doesn't mean it's not going to resurface itself. And so I want to have... I basically feel like I'm stockpiling uh, resilience. Yeah, totally. Man. Towards yeah, it. yeah. I like that stockpiling resilience. Stock, I like that too. Stock. How that's- to stockpile <laughs> resistance? That resilience. That's going to be the name of the podcast. That's, <laughs> I,
1: I like that you you touch on that because that's sort of when I work with folks who come out of that severe suicidal ideation. I make sure that we reflect on like, okay, how did we get through this? And like, how can you get through this in the future? And how can you have the perspective in the future to like understand these feelings and validate them internally and recognize um, when you're feeling this way and seek help when you need
0: it? Mm-hmm. You're right. It, it, right. Because it's important to help people realize how they got through stuff. Because yeah. sometimes you forget totally. how you were able to do it in this, in the tools and the strength that you had before. And be like, oh, well, if I've done it before, that means I can do it again. Right. Right. And to recognize that it came from you and an action that you took to Absolutely. to be intentional about it. Um, where can people find you, Aaron? Good.
1: People can find me in Portland, Oregon or at trailheadcounseling.net.
0: Fantastic. And I always end every podcast with, you know, I always feel like there's one person out there listening who is on a cusp mm-hmm. of uh, completing suicide. Yeah. And uh, before you kill yourself, what do you want to say to that person, Aaron? Oh, wow. I know. It's, it's powerful. Whole, I just put you on the spot. A lot of I know. pressure. A lot of pressure.
1: I would say call the suicide hotline. I used to volunteer there, and there are wonderful people there who want to listen to you. Mm-hmm. You're not putting anyone out by reaching out.
0: Wow. Because a lot, yeah, because people feel like they are, um, they're a burden.
1: The the number of calls that started with like, I'm not sure if this is the right place to call, or I'm not sure if my problem qualifies, like it was a high number.
0: I'm not sure if my problem qualifies. Yeah, Man, that, you know, even when my friend uh, reached out to me the other night and said that I can call her if I need to, I remember thinking that same thing. Like I appreciate it, but I don't want to burden you with my. And uh, but that's also why I do call the one eight hundred number because they're strangers. I don't give a damn about (laughs) burdening a stranger. (laughs) But it's it's
1: not a burden. Right, right, right. It wasn't a burden for me. Absolutely. Thank you for for most folks there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: we signed up for it.
0: Can so. This is, I mean, I know I was like, this is the end of the part. But now <laughs> I'm like, you know, because that's so, I want to get more into that. Uh, Yeah, people feel like a burden. You signed up for it. What made you sign up for it? And um, what were you thinking as the listener when people are calling you with their, mm. like, you know, so that my listeners can feel comfortable?
1: Yeah, Uh that I love all humankind mm. and that extends to everyone who calls. Yeah. And I want to provide like healing support. like yes. A net for people. Mm. Um, not trying to like reach through the phone and fix them, but just like provide a net,
0: a soft mm. place. Let them, them fall, sit. but don't let them hit the ground. Right. Just kind of, right.
1: Catching them. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's powerful. Uh, Thank you so much, Aaron, for well, being for here. Thank you. Uh, I, I feel like I've learned a million things on this podcast. <laughs> I'm excited. Like I'm like I got to listen to the podcast again. Because <laughs> uh, wait, what what did I say earlier? Uh, something about resilience. Yeah. Uh,
1: stockpiling it's resilience.
0: Stockpiling resilience. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, and yeah, competence. Yeah. That's totally. fantastic. Are you on social media anywhere? I am. What's your? Are you on? So, are you, I mean, <laughs> is that a private thing? No. Oh, okay. I'm like, I don't remember my. Do you, you remember your. You're so. Uh, you're, okay. I no mean, noise. just l- look if for they,
1: Aaron Good or Trailhead Counseling okay. on, on Twitter or Instagram.
0: And fantastic. You know, fantastic. Me. Thank you, boys and girls, for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers and my amazing host, our, our guest, Aaron Good. Uh, please like, comment, uh, those ratings on uh, in iTunes. Those mean a lot in terms of uh, keeping a podcast going, and I I thank you. And please share this. This is the the whole point of the podcast is so that you're listening and that you share it and that you also take action. Do not be passive. Do not take it for granted. Pick up the phone call. Go for a nature walk. Uh, Take action, okay? Thank you, guys, and I'll talk to you Thursday.